Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon. This is the Dogs Program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, and we are here to defend and to promote public education. And when we talk about public education, as we say every week, we are talking about a very specific kind of education. It is the kind of education that you need for a democracy. It's the cornerstone of our democracy, and it's public in purpose and outcome must also be public in access. It should be open to all children without selection on the basis of anything, whether that criteria is religious or whether that criteria is ability to pay, whether that criteria is the political views of the parents. It should be open to all children. And it's the only one, of course, that is this. It should also be public in ownership and control. Public-private partnerships are anathema in the long term to a public education system. A public education system should also be the only one that is public in funding. And on this matter, the dogs have never compromised and never intend to compromise. The dogs have always believed and will continue to believe that you cannot fund private religious schools. In fact, they believe it's unconstitutional and they also believe that if you do, then you will cause grave disadvantage to large numbers of children. And this has, of course, happened in the last 50 years. The dogs also believe that the public education system, otherwise known as the state or government system, should be the only one that receives public funding because it's the only one that is, in fact, publicly accountable. Now we have a website at www.adogs.info and uh, you can see more about us there and every week we put up a press release and we're now up to press release 645. And uh, what is this? It's the Australian Education Union emphasis on Gonski misses an essential point about public as opposed to private education. Our listeners would be probably aware, many of our listeners would be teachers or have children at school, would be aware that there has been a big national conference of the AEU or the Australian Education Union and they have reiterated their belief in this thing called the Gonski Report Uh, and this is what we've written. The federal election is shaping up to be an education election but it's questionable whether it will be a public school education election. 
The Australian Education Union's unquestioned emphasis upon the full implementation of the sector-neutral Gonski needs policy at their annual conference indicates a reversal in their once strongly held no-state-aid policy. It is also a step towards an unquestioning acceptance of Goncha's voucher system of education funding. At their recent conference, the AEU decided to launch a $2 million to a two million at TV advertising campaign in support of the full six years of Gonski funding. The AEU Federal President, Corina Haythorpe, said that the six years of Gonski funding were a once in a generation chance to properly resource disadvantaged schools and there needed to be bipartisan political support for Gonski. Now, the ads that they're going to pay for will begin on March the 6th and will be shown on free-to-air TV in Sydney, Brisbane and regional New South Wales. They'll tell Australians how Gonski's getting results in schools. And there's no doubt about this. Funding does matter, and it certainly matters to principals that have been left out to dry in the regions with schools that are underfunded and have large numbers of disadvantaged children. The dogs are not questioning this. And uh, Ms Haythorpe says that it builds on their target seat campaign, which has seen full-time coordinators working on the ground since July last year, to build support for Gonski funding in local communities. And the more that the AEU tells people about what Gonski is delivering, the greater the public support. And they've They've discovered that polling taken in marginal seats earlier in uh, February found voters supported Gonski by a margin of two to one. Now, this funding is delivering more resources to schools, she says, with the greatest increases targeted to schools which educate the most disadvantaged students. And Malcolm Turnbull needs to match Labor's promise of funding the full six years of Gonski, which would invest an extra $4.5 billion in schools in 2018 and 2019. But instead, Turnbull's saying that he plans to index schools' funding to inflation after 2017, and that would mean that no public school is funded according to need. Now, the Labor leader, Bill Shorten, did come to the conference. Birmingham apparently didn't, but Bill Shorten did. Uh, Turnbull didn't go to their conference, but Bill Shorten did. And he addressed the conference and confirmed that if elected, Labor would deliver the full six years of the Gonski agreements, delivering an extra $4.5 billion to schools in 2018 and 19. Now, Labor's policies would deliver an extra $2 billion in funding to low SES schools in those two years. And the Greens leader, Senator Richard Di Natale, also addressed the conference and expressed his support for Gonski funding. Now, this desire for funding into our public school systems at any price for disadvantaged children, ageing infrastructure and inadequate resources in our public schools is understandable. And there is a great deal of evidence from the principals and desperate teachers in the front line teaching large numbers of disadvantaged children in our public schools themselves. But remember, these children 
are perhaps advantaged also to be in public, not private schools, that even current funding that is trickling through from Gonski's recommendations is already working wonders. The AEU says, ask the principals what Gonski means to them and the chances are that you'll hear the words flexibility, proven results and finally being given the responsibility to spend extra funding where they know that it's needed. And there are individual stories like that of Kabilcher and others that I'll refer to in a moment, which are very heartwarming instances of dedicated teachers working under difficult conditions. But dogs ask. And I think this is very important, listeners. Is pleading for the crumbs from the tables of wealthy religious education systems good public policy? We have the completely unacceptable levels of disadvantage and the waste of creative and innovative ability in our next generation in this country because of the diversion of billions of dollars of funds away from our public system into the private sectarian and now even profiteering systems of education because education has become an industry and private enterprise is now investing in Australia to make money out of the educational needs of the next generation. Gonski merely represents the funding of a few band-aids, we contend, for struggling yet our splendid public schools. Now, dogs contend, as we have contended for the last half century, that only good public policy, the only good public policy is public funding for public schools only. However, we are happy to tell you about the examples of how our public schools, with just a minimum of adequate funding, can do a marvellous job. And this is what the uh, teachers at the AEU conference heard. Uh, What's at stake, she says, for schools that have received Gonski funding, just a little bit of extra funding, Nothing like what schools like Scott's College and um, the big private sectors like the Catholic education sector require and get. But even a bit of Gonski funding coming through to our public systems, which some of which, some of the schools of which are in disadvantaged areas, which deal with disadvantaged children, have found that even this little bit of funding works in our public schools. At Caboolture East State School, north of Brisbane, Gonski funding started with rebranding. The school's motto was always strive together and excel, but the mantra, no matter my journey, my pathway to success starts here, has been added. And being in Queensland, which by the way was one of the three states that didn't sign the original agreement, The school has only had Gonski funding over three years, but it has received, listen to these funds, listen to these figures, 305,000 in 2014, 2,096 in 2015 and 406,000 for 2016. Uh, and listeners, if you if you are listening to these kind of figures and you look at the millions that go to wealthy private schools, you you just wonder. Now the money has been very welcome. 
In the past six years, the school's population almost doubled from 420 to 686 students, and of those, 105 have a verified disability. A further 117 attend the school's early childhood development program. Now, Caboolture East has a high percentage of students with disabilities, as you can see from those figures. And that ranges from 13 to 16% compared with 5% at most other schools. And most of the children have been diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Others have intellectual disabilities and hearing and vision impairment. And many of these come, not unsurprisingly, from disadvantaged homes. Funding has allowed more investment in professional development for teachers, building their capability and capacity to understand these dynamics. And last year, the school introduced two pedagogical coaches to work with teachers on literacy and numeracy. And this year, there's a very strong focus on what they call the STEM subjects, which are the science. And, um, and I think that also involves computer subjects. These initiatives have only been possible because of the trickle of money coming through from Gonski. The result is a new culture of collaboration at the school where educators are comfortable observing and learning from each other. One of the school's pedagogical coaches, a lady called Belinda Nash, works closely with the teachers across the school in maths and reading. And she says that money for diagnostic testing means that teachers can now differentiate the curriculum for individual students and therefore act more effectively. And the proof is in the pudding. Caboolture East, a public school with minimal funding and a little bit trickles coming through from Gonski, has been rated outstanding in almost every area in its last school audit. And a few streets away... Russell Knowles, who's the principal of Caboolture State School, can't imagine what would happen to his students if the funding was now withdrawn. He pulls his Gonski funding to pay for teacher aid time and learning support for students with disabilities. And this has led to significant progress in student performance across all areas, with specific developments in reading and numeracy and phenomenal improvement in writing. And one grade three boy, for example, who wrote nothing but scribbles can now compose full sentences and they're short but well worth celebrating, says Knowles. And he was so proud of him that he laminated one of his stories and hung it on the wall in his office. And it's just one example of what can be achieved when you have the funding to not only test children's abilities but put them with teachers who have the time and the resources to provide one-on-one intensive support. Now, Caboolture State School sits in the bottom 11% nationwide on on SES data, which is the level of, um, Robert has explained this on several times with his ICSIA rating, uh, of disadvantage. Out of 600 students, 100 are Indigenous students and a large number have English as a second language. And there's, but there's very little staff turnover there, which is quite an achievement for a school that is at the bottom of the 10th percentile of SES. Knowles is passionate about the school and he expects the same from its teachers. We work together with the children and the staff and the parents too. They're a team and that's the key to the success. And now I'll tell you about Katoomba High School. 
That's in the lush surrounds of the Blue Mountains National Park of New South Wales. It serves a very diverse community. It has 660 students and it's a mix of low SES and middle class families and 10% of the students there are Aboriginal and all have different learning needs. And they have a principal, Lady Principal Jenny Boyle, and she arrived at the school three years ago and she set two priorities, enhancing student engagement and creating a sense of belonging. And she received 120000 in extra Gonski funding for 2015. Now this, in the scheme of things, is really not very much, but the teachers and the principals in our public schools are doing miracles, creating miracles with just a little bit more funding. And it enabled Boyle to look at how the curriculum could engage every type of student and the result was a host of new programs that she says have seen the school become a place that not that is not just about the teaching and learning what happens in the classroom. One of the school's most ambitious initiatives is Biraban Landcare, which is a bush regeneration project that's transformed a two-hectare space among the native eucalypts into a living classroom. It's in the Gundagura word for emu, and Gonski funding allowed Boyle to employ a full-time Aboriginal education officer, Gary Rule, who ran the program. And what started as an alternative to sport and a way to connect Aboriginal students to their culture and heritage has become a dynamic learning that's being used across the curriculum to teach art, science, English, geography and maths. And the teachers, of course, are learning different worldviews and they're seeing how they can use it for teaching and learning. And having Gary on the staff has given them permission to feel comfortable about moving into Aboriginal culture together with their children. Rule, who along with another member of staff, also runs a motorcycle repair club for boys who are becoming disengaged at school, um, is, is really doing very, very well. And one Aboriginal student had been connected with his program before he started at the school and he was working with Gary and the older boys. And now, instead of feeling anxious about the transition to high school, he has become engaged with the school as well as his own culture. So these are examples of extraordinarily good teachers who, with just a little bit of extra funding, are making public schools into even more extraordinary places to be, especially for children with disadvantaged backgrounds. But there are a lot of teachers who are very, very tired and who have had enough. And there's a big turnover in the teaching staffs of our schools. And some of them are looking elsewhere. For example, to England, because the English also are short on teachers and they're very happy, more than happy, to have our well-qualified, well-experienced teachers from our public systems in Australia. But that's enough from me. I'll let Robert, who has himself taught in England, uh, enlarge on all of that. Thank you very much, Jane. You're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast. 
We welcome you, listeners, those people, the regular listeners who tune in because they're interested in finding out about how the children of Australia can be best educated in a free, secular and um, universal education system like the state education system and indeed those people who have deep and worrying or deep concerns about where Australia is going when it comes to spending its money on sectarian um, and indeed free market based um, schools that are sort of, I don't know, they're all over the place. We call them private schools but they're all sorts of different arrangements. Obviously the Catholic Education Office have a system where around Australia they educate between 25 and 30 percent of the population of the country. Yes, that's the Catholic school system. That, that's, that's the one that the Royal Commission's been sort of talking about over in Rome at the moment. Some concerns about their treatment of children, but also the independent school system. And Jean quite rightly mentioned that a lot of teachers are out there getting tired at the moment in the state school system. And um, I'm going to report after, after these messages about one particular teacher, a very famous teacher actually, a very strong state school advocate, a teacher called Chris... Fontanopoulos, who has been an advocate for the state school system for over 25 years. And he has a very sad story to tell, which I'll be sharing with you after these messages. Right, gentlemen, this panel is now on air. In July 1976, from an old warehouse in High Street, Armadale, 3CR Community Radio hit the airwaves heralding 40 years of independent, community-owned and controlled radio. This will be the first station owned and operated by a cooperative of community organisations on a Melbourne-wide basis. This is 3CR. As the status quo of old media is challenged, as publications come and go, in a country with the highest concentration of media ownership in the world, 3CR continues to broadcast radical, insightful radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're not talking about land rights, we're talking about sovereignty. That's why it's important for us to be at the 10 Embassy. From the protests against the Franklin River Dam to the 1998 waterfront dispute, from the east-west tunnel picket to the Aboriginal 10 Embassy, the history of 3CR is dynamic and passionate and ongoing. I was born here. I will die here. I am not moving. So as we celebrate 40 years in 2016, we ask you, our volunteers, listeners and supporters, to join in in saying, Happy Birthday 3CR! Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial, Defenders of Government Schools. Yes, 3CR is 40 years old. Extraordinary. Well, we're still here as a station and as a program, and I promised you before the break that I'll be telling you about this, the story of Chris Fontanopoulos. Now, Chris Fontanopoulos, he's been on... We've done his work on the program before because he's been a very strong state school advocate and he has an interesting story to tell. Um, it was published, actually, in the Fairfax Press um, on February 26. That's a couple of weeks ago now, but I think it's interesting. He says, as a state school teacher for more than 25 years, he understands a parent's apprehension in placing their most valuable possession, that is, their child, in a school that does not have sufficient resources and specialised programs to meet the diverse needs of its students. So there's plenty of schools out there, and as Jean quite rightly said, there's lots of schools that use what little they have to great effect, um, and maybe parents aren't aware of that. But Chris also understands the frustration and guilt that teachers feel when failing to get the best out of their students. He says he especially appreciates the exasperation teachers feel when dealing with students who present class management problems 
which often leads to teachers leaving the classroom for leading positions within the school. He says, as a teacher who resigned from teaching, puts it in a study published in the Australian Teachers Journal, most teachers are pushing promotion in order to reduce classroom time and get away from the classroom behaviour problems. Other teachers are just leaving the profession altogether. OECD data shows that up to one-third of teachers in Australia intend to leave within the next five years. As a survey of 1,200 early childhood teachers conducted by the Australian Education Union found that almost half believe that they will not be teaching um, in 10 years' time. Now, many of Chris's colleagues are abandoning the state school system because the state school sector has indeed, in his opinion, abandoned them. And the drift from the sector will continue as long as the government funding continues to flow towards the private sector and away from those who most need it. And this is a sad story. This is a story of one man in a state school who, upon his own admission, is a traitor to the state school system because that's what he says. He says himself that he is a traitor and this is his confession. He says, those who teach in the state school sector, recognise the link between socioeconomic status and student academic outcomes. And as a teacher, he says, who works with disadvantaged students, they particularly know it requires a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of teamwork, and indeed money to reach struggling students. He says, the lower the socioeconomic status, the greater the chance of performing poorly in school. Now, as highlighted by Eric Jensen in Teaching with Poverty in Mind, and Eric Jensen says, and I quote, children raised in poverty rarely choose to behave differently, but they are faced daily with overwhelming challenges that affluent children never have to confront. Now I'd just like to pause from what Chris is saying here because I think that statement is one of the most damning and condemning things you can say about what's going on in education today. And I'll say it again. The poorer the child the greater the chance of performing poorly. If you just accept that, if you just take that as fact, if you just take that as the way the world is, and Trevor Cobold does up in Canberra, he just accepts it as a fact. Um, Chris Fontanopoulos, he just accepts it as a fact. Eric Jensen accepts it as a fact. If you happen to have children who come from families whose parents happen to be poor, then by definition you are significantly less likely to be well-educated. In a country like Australia, which claims to be civilised, if you just go, oh, yeah, fair enough, that's the way it is, then you've lost already. I agree. That's one thing in the end, that ha even having a public education system, the very idea of having a public education system which is open to all children doesn't accept that yeah. fact. It accepts that, in fact, all children are equal yes. and there are remarkable exceptions. The trouble is, of course, that we don't want the exceptions to prove the rule. We want, the dogs want every child to have a chance. A chance. Equality of opportunity, which is the whole basis, the whole premise, the whole reason why the state school system in Australia which back in the late 19th and early 20th century was set up ahead of the rest of the world, was that no one would actually have to accept the simple basic fact 
that if you're poor, you may have a poor education. Like that, that, that simple fact, which is now accepted in 2016 as Kant, um, is something that all through the 20s, oh, mid to mid to late 20th century, that was what the state school system was fighting. If you accept that as a fact, you've already lost the battle. Well, history disproves it. Yes. Um, his, the history of the public education system in this country, which is a long and proud, proud, proud history, actually disproves that. And that's what the dogs have always been fighting for, the belief that it is possible, always possible, that every child should, through education, be the best in the land. Mm. Uh, and um, I think history has proved that. You and I are sitting here, Robert, well-educated, because in 1910 in New South Wales, also down here in Victoria, also in Queensland, uh, in that period, just before the First World War, there were secondary education schools opened. And after the Second World War, there were, in fact, many, many schools, secondary schools, finally opened. Queensland was behind everybody else because of the efforts of the Roman Catholic Church up there to get state aid through a scholarship system. But throughout Australia... Every child had the opportunity for at least a secondary education. And that was our history. And it was a great battle. And the battle has still got to be joined and it's still got to be fought and it's still got to be won. That every child in this country has a free, secular and universal education which gives them an opportunity to be the very best that they can be in a democratic society. It's a wonderful idea and it is possible. It's been proved possible and we must not ever forget this very precious inheritance. Indeed, indeed. It, it's a historical battle. And poor Chris, poor Chris, who describes himself as a traitor to the state school system because he is disheartened has, I think, lost sight of the battle. but Battle-weary, he, yes. Yes, he's battle-weary. Battle Shell-shot. I mean, he says, and he says, look, it's in these poor students who are performing poorly, who come from poor families, that he says these present the greatest challenge to schools. Not only do they frustrate teaching, he says, they interfere with the learning of others. He says it is a disheartening reality that students from disadvantaged backgrounds will continue to thwart effective teaching for as long as their specific needs are not properly met through targeted funding. Now, the student management problem is far deeper in the state sector, he says, because state schools carry most of Australia's disadvantaged children. It is for this reason that teachers who decide to change schools are likely to go where there are fewer students with management difficulties. He says teachers all also gravitate to the sector where there is the greatest demand for their skills. And he says the independent sector, because he's looking for jobs, independent sector will require further 7,400 secondary teachers by the year 2020. Now, that's a projection. I think Chris might be a bit surprised. I think that number might be a bit lower. But we'll explain why. Um, but I think it's important to hear that. There's the assumption there that we are going to privatise education in this country and we're going to uh, go back into the bad old days of almost the Middle Ages and we're no longer going to be a democracy and we're going to have a pool of uh, labour that nobody wants. Mm. And um, <laughs> that's a very, very dangerous assumption. 
because there's actually a lot of parents out there who are starting to wake up that if their children are going to get any kind of uh, a chance, then they must have a public education system which is available for their children. Yes, I can hear in the tone of your voice, Jean, that, that Chris's experience is something that you understand but don't necessarily sympathise with. And I have to say that that's a reasonable, a reasonable point of view too. But he says, and traitors often justify themselves, and I think he's being very open and honest by publishing this in, in, in a paper and putting himself in that position. He says, just like any employee, teachers will consider moving to a workplace that presents strong growth and more significantly a less stressful work environment. And he says, there's no point blaming students. I'll give him that. He says, no point blaming students from disadvantaged backgrounds for state school teacher despondency and burnout. He doesn't blame the kids. And he said, there's no point blaming teachers for turning their backs on students who are the most in need. Well, I'm not sure if that's the case. He says, the accusatory finger ought to be directed towards the desultory funding policies that favour wealthy independent schools over the sector that carry 80% of the Nathan's disadvantaged children. He says these biased policies have, as David Zniger from Monash University Faculty of Education puts it, and I quote, led to an increasing amount of public money going to private schools, with a consequent expansion of that sector at the expense of the public education sector. He says, the sad reality is the Gonski Needs-Based Education Funding Agreement that was designed to address the problem that Chris is talking about will actually just fail to meet its objective unless the federal government commits to the vital fifth and sixth years of the agreement all the way up to 2019. Now, given the current funding uncertainty, it's no surprise that parents who have financial means to bypass the failing state school system do so with the aid of government subsidies. Now, I have to stop right there. It's not failing. Because I don't think the state school system is failing. The state school system is the only system that's actually succeeding at its brief. Unless, of course, you concede that the independent and Catholic school system's reason for existence is to take children away from the state school system, take the nice ones, take the cheap ones, take the pretty ones, take the smart ones away and only educate them. If that's what the independent and Catholic school system's major brief is, then I'm I'm sure they can say that they're succeeding. But their brief is not to educate the children of Australia. Their, Their brief is to educate some children as profitably as possible. Could I say something here? I have a very vivid memory, Robert. Back in the 1960s, when I went up to Queensland and the state system had been held back for many, many years, I encountered uh, people from the Roman Catholic sector who were quite extraordinary in my experience. They moralised at me non-stop. Uh, and their kind of morals, they were very, very anti-homosexuals and so on, but they were their kind of morals were were very, very strange to me. They somehow were trying to prove that their school system was more respectable than the state school system. And this respectability uh, covered over so many cracks because in Brisbane you actually had the highest VD rate of the nation. And just under the surface you were... Uh, aware of really quite strange things going on. Now, this was actually the time just before state aid and then a lot of state aid was given to a lot of these schools. And now we are discovering that at least one 
one town of Australia, namely Ballarat, in these respectable schools which were getting state aid, quite horrific things were happening. And we are confronted with the people who were in charge of this private religious education system now in Rome saying that really they weren't aware of this and trying to say that perhaps they weren't even responsible for this. So I get a little bit edgy when somehow somebody is trying to tell me that the so-called independent, but they're really dependent schools, which are taking enormous amounts of public money, are in some sense more respectable, more middle class than our state school systems, which are much more open and are accountable for every penny that they spend and everything that they do with their children. I'm sorry, I felt I had to say that because... We haven't gone into great detail on what has happened in Ballarat and the survivors of a quite shocking part of Australian history. But when people try to tell me that these private religious schools are somehow more respectable, uh, more middle class, more acceptable to the middle class people of this nation, I warn them. I warn the middle class against the veneer of respectability. Yes, and the unexaminable veneer of respectability. Now, I think it's, I'm very glad you shared that story, Jim, because I think that's relevant in this situation. Because Chris, who has abandoned and in, as is a self-described traitor to the state school system, is about he's got himself a new job. And I think it's best to hear it in his own words because he said at the end of 2015 he actually turned his back on his secondary state school after 25 years of service because he lost confidence in the state's capacity to help teachers get the best out of its students. He also got out because he was on the verge of burnout. Selfish and hypocritical as this decision may be in the eyes of state school supporters, he says, the change will probably protect me against further fatigue and ensure professional longevity. He's he, hopeful. Uh, yes, I do think he's quite hopeful, and we'll come to that. He says, just like many of his colleagues who have walked away from the state school sector, he is tired of defending a system that has promised so much and delivered so little to those who need it the most. He is fed up with the state school teachers being asked to carry the burden of social disadvantage without the appropriate funding and support. He says, will I be a better teacher in an independent school? He says, it's too soon to tell. Meanwhile, he says, the kids who need the greatest attention will continue to flounder under a government funding system that favours the privileged while treating the socially disadvantaged as second-rate citizens. Now, Chris, um, if you're listening, um, this is actually quite a sad article, and I, I know you have written it in sadness. Um, I can tell you um, from personal experience and indeed from statistical experience, um, your job in the independent sector might not be the nirvana no. that you think um, you might be heading into. All the extracurricular activities to make them somehow prove that they can get the little bit of extra. Well, yes, for indeed. Their, extra for their buck. And you'll probably know, Chris, I hope you have um, a tenured position in an independent school because in independent schools, a vast majority of the teachers are, of course, on six-month and 12-month contracts. 
from year to year, holiday to holiday, they don't know if they've got a job. So I hope in your position that you're not in that, in that situation because so many teachers in the independent school system, uh, when they come into the system, are placed in those invidious, terrible working conditions, actually. Yes, the, the children, inverted commas, might be better, inverted commas. Um, I actually dispute that one as well, um, again, from personal experience. I've worked in over 80 schools around Victoria, Chris, and I can tell you that the two worst schools that I have ever been to in the world, truth to tell, from England to Istanbul to Australia, the two worst schools that I've ever been to, taught, taught in, worked in in the world, are not state schools. They are absolutely not state schools. So I hope the school you go to um, treats you well. And here at the Dogs, I suppose we do wish you well. Um, I think, Chris, what you're saying, um, if I'm getting this right, is that the system is stuffed, the system is corrupt, and you're working in the system, and what can you do? You can't fight the system. Well, Chris, you can. And that's the hope. You can fight the system, Chris. Because here at the Dogs, here at the Defence of Government Schools organisation, every Saturday at 12 noon on 3CR 855 and the AM dial, we do fight the battle and we fight it for you. We're sorry about your situation. I, and I actually genuinely understand it. I really do. I understand what you're saying and I understand why you're saying it. I even understand your actions. And I understand that as you do this, you know you are being a traitor, not just to the state school system, but probably to some deeply held values that you have and that your coming experiences might well challenge your sanity as you work in an independent school, considering the strength and, and, and the way you articulately have over the years um, defended and indeed highlighted the hypocrisy that goes on in the way schools are funded in this country. Just one objection, Robert. Yeah. These are not independent schools. Oh, I mean, we are dealing with a system that, of course, deals with veneer and with words. They are dependent schools. They are dependent upon taxpayers' money and their resources, which we pay for, should be available to all children. They should be taken over and made into public schools. They are dependent. Well said, Jane. Anyone who dares to argue with you, I'm sure, is in for, a, in, 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 for a, in for a very rough time. Because not only do you say it passionately, but you say it with truth. And here at the Dogs, that's what we do highlight. We talk about issues in ways that you don't hear on other media outlets. And we return with more. Um, oh, well, this is kind of sad, but interesting news. It's come out of the IBAC inquiry here in Victoria relating to corruption in the state school sector. But it's an interesting story, and um, we'll share it with you after these messages. If People Powered Radio, an exhibition celebrating 40 years of 3CR. From the 18th of March till the 23rd of April, the exhibition will feature new work by contemporary artists, rare audio, 3CR ephemera, archival posters and photos, live on-site broadcasts, and music events. Come along to the opening night, Friday, March 18th, from 6pm, at Gertrude Contemporary Art Gallery, 200 Gertrude Street, Fitzroy. For more information, visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM. Diary. listening to Robert and Jean defending public education as we do every week. If you're interested in what we're saying or what we're saying makes you angry one way or the other, either at us or with us, um, please feel free to contact us at our website, which is at www. 
www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. And yes, happy birthday again to 3CR. We're here and we're not going away. Um, I promised you just before the break we'd be talking about some interesting things to do with corruption in the state school system. Well, actually, the IBAC inquiry, which relates to corruption in the state school system, um, it's very interesting. Um, some of the people involved in this process, people on staff in the department, have said that they are suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome, of course, is a syndrome you have when you're captured by terrorists and after a period of time in being incarcerated, you start to fall in love with and be sympathetic to the people who are doing your violence and doing you wrong. Now, Victorian Education Department staff members, according to an article by Tim Jacks, who's the education reporter at The Age, and that was on the February the 29th, Victorian Education Department staff members who worked under alleged corrupt officials were gripped by the Stockholm, Syndro Stockholm Syndrome, a formerly Deputy Secretary of the Department told an inquiry. Now, the IBAC uh, Commission also heard the Department was paying the legal costs for CSG Limited, a company that won the $240 million contract for the botched Ultranet program. The Ultranet program was supposed to be an um, internet-safe program for all state schools around Victoria so that computers could be used by students and they don't get to sort of happen upon terrible websites of one form or another and also to facilitate communication between students and teachers within the state school system. It cost $240 million in terms of that contract and it's now being closed down because it all just fell apart in a great big heap and I'll explain why right now. Um, it was heard that the former department executive, Daryl Fraser, arranged for a $1 million payment to be made to a company called Alliance Recruitment in 2011. Under the instructions of the then acting secretary, Jeff Rosewarn, who, by the way, went on to work for the Catholic Education Office, Mr Fraser asked for the work to be recorded as a consultancy rather than contract work. This would avoid it being recorded as, um, in the department's annual report. It was heard that the large payment ultimately went to CSG in order to cover the company's expenses, including its legal costs, after it was forced to pay ASG Group more than $4 million to settle a legal dispute over who owned the intellectual property of the software that they were supposedly selling to the Education Department in the first place. After the department's $1 million payment was made, Mr Fraser was given a senior executive job at the people who had just won the contract. Extraordinary business, isn't it? Anyway, Dr Watterson, who subsequently ordered the internal investigation into the department's financial management, said reasonable people at the department succumbed to improper conduct due to a culture of fear. It was a bit like Stockholm Syndrome, he says, when people have been captured and the only way to cope is to agree with your captors. IBAC also heard that Sonia Vello-Johnson, who worked under Mr Fraser and completed the paperwork for the $1 million payment, wanted to vomit when her and her colleagues revealed the truth about the contract and remained haunted by the experience. She said it was like waking up finding out your husband had another wife and kids, she said. I thought that this whole thing was a real project. It also emerged ahead of the external audit of Ultranet. Former senior executives John Allman and Diane Peck advised Ms Vello-Johnson to change the document's documentation to show the payment to Alliance Recruitment had come from the Ultranet account itself. They asked her to fiddle the books. Ms. Fellow Johnson said she believed in hindsight this was a bid to hide the payment. Now, I think this is funny because 
if people involved in this system say that this is the state education system in Victoria, which has been shown to be corrupt because there's people involved in this process have got significant financial benefit and they were public servants of this great state of Victoria. They're saying it's Stockholm Syndrome. No, 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 it's not Stockholm Syndrome. You've got the wrong words. It's the Nuremberg defence. It's I only did it because I was ordered to and I didn't ask any questions and I'm sorry I didn't ask any questions at the time. I just did what I was told to do. And I just, it's, Well, actually, they won't call it the Nuremberg defence anymore. They call it the Pell defence because that's what it is. Oh, I didn't know. Yes, I, maybe I could have asked more questions, but I didn't. But my, you know, but my boss is more powerful than me and I can't do anything about it. I think you have to go back to the 1980s and um, what happened in the education department with various restructures and I think if most particularly you have to look at what happened under Kennett. Uh, in the 1980s, anything to do with uh, the new technology was done in-house. It was not contracted out. That is Any... exactly the point, Jane. That is exactly the point. The point is, if you're going to spend $240 million on doing some technology work in the Victorian education system and you are stupid enough to contract that out to a private provider whose main reason for existence, its raison d'etre of this company is to make money and not to educate kids, not to provide a public service, then you are going to end up in a situation where that private provider is going to take all the money they possibly can as quickly as they possibly can. And if that involves giving payments to internal employees of the education department, if they bribe someone with a million dollars and then promise them a job and then they get $240 million out of it, in business terms, that's a good investment. In, 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 in simple terms, this is privatisation gone mad. You know that you're in real trouble when the taxation office uh, uh, actually privatises its computer. It's, it's, oh, um, it's crazy. And in fact, they were doing this, but eventually they got it back in-house. You have to have craziness. You have to have a public service as a genuine public service, yes. and you have to yes. contain particularly yes. your yes. technology and yes. your information yes. gathering. Yes, and do you know what? It's cheaper. Indeed. It's cheaper. This whole idea that if you privatise something, the corruption and the processes involved and the commercial incompetence arrangements and the inherent secrecy and the whole thing about having public-private partnerships means that in every case, in education, in Victoria, if you privatise something, it's more expensive and it's less effective and so therefore less efficient. Look at the TAFE sector. Look at the VET sector. Look at contracting things out from the state school system. Look at all the money that's wasted in private education across this state. It's all. Bring it inside. If the minister is directly responsible for every dollar that's spent in education in Australia, the education minister, and if he gets it wrong, he or she resigns, that is the only way to ensure an accountable system. As soon as you have public-private partnerships, the corruption starts. IBAC, ostensibly they're getting stuck into the corruption in the state school system, but they're not. They're getting stuck into the corruption that is inherent in privatising the state school system, and which is they, indeed the problem. they should actually... Uh, nip across and have a look at the Catholic education system which has had this built into it from the word go. Absolutely. And which, and no, of course, you, you're now seeing in Rome with the, um, with the pearl business. I know, but you can't. You, yeah. you can't have a look inside the books of the Catholic education office. We're not allowed to, Jane. 
Commercial in practice, uh, commercial in confidence, I'm sorry. Now, but you can actually uh, get some kind of insight into what's happening in the Muslim system. Our um, our powers that be are quite happy to attack the Muslim system, but not the Roman Catholic and other systems. Um, and uh, I've got here a very interesting little little tidbit where you can see that a federal court judge has ruled that one of Melbourne's top Islamic schools illegally altered school documents during an investigation by the Independent Education Union of Australia. And I hope that the gentleman in, uh, that you were... Uh, quoting before, finds that the Independent Education Union of Australia does as good good a job for him, uh, uh, that's providing he's not on contract, I suppose, as they do, as the AEU does for state schools teachers. But um, in the judgment that was handed down, uh, Justice, Justice Christopher Jessup of the Federal Court upheld the union's claim, that's the Independent Education Union's claim, that the so-called Australian International Academy of Education, which was formerly the King Khaled College, illegally hired more than a dozen teachers on fixed-term contracts. Now, the union argued that this was well above the three teachers permitted to be hired on fixed-term contracts under the Teachers' Award of 2012. And Justice Jessup found that the school's head, Salah Salman, and another member of staff had also contravened the Fair Work Act by refusing to allow the union to inspect copies of school records in 2012. Now, after Fair Work Australia had made an order allowing for an inspection, Mr Salmon instructed his personal assistant to change the teachers' contracts, altering their status to full-time employees, the judgment read. That this alteration was done in order to give union officials the impression that the teacher concerned was not employed on a fixed term basis. Justice Jessup also criticised Mr Salmon's testimony in court um, which he said was a definitely definite characteristic of evidence given by Mr. Salmon and another employee. He said, Mr. Justice Jessup said, or he wrote, uh, they had a tendency to manoeuvre themselves out of personal involvement in a damning situation. Well, who does that sound like? Uh, I'm reading in the Age this week of how uh, Cardinal Pell wanted to wriggle himself out of a pretty awful situation and uh, wants us all to feel sorry for him having to read with grief the reports of victims in the the Catholic school system uh, that he, in fact, as um, a bishop, was responsible for. But... um, This also brings out, in fact, what teachers are expected to do in religious schools that have peculiar religious beliefs. I have been told of a student teacher who was required to wear certain kinds of underwear as well as overwear if she was going to do her practice in a particular religious school. And uh, just one just wonders about really very basic questions of liberty here. And if these schools take taxpayers' money, then these requirements on teachers, pupils, parents, and also uh, anybody who has anything to do with them, particularly students, they just should not be there. They are quite overt matters of discrimination. 
and these matters of discrimination are being perpetuated at public expense. So let's get back to basics. Let's keep public, public, and private, private. The dogs are not necessarily against private, but they are certainly against the public subsidisation of private matters. But that's enough for today, I believe. Uh, we would like to tell you how in in Great Britain they now have a big birth rate rise and real problems with providing education for all. And Australia will be confronted with this in, in time as well. But uh, that's when very interesting things happen and we have to work out whether or not the next generation have a right, a right, not charitable rights, but a right to the best education that this country can afford. But that's enough for now, and uh, we hope to be back here. Well, we will be back here next week at... Yes, bye for now. And you've been listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. If you want to get hold of us, as I have said, if you're angry with us or angry at us, um, get hold of us at our website, www.adogs.info. And, of course, if you want to check on some of the things we've been talking about, you can catch us again. Podcast. They just go to the 3CR website, 3cr.org, and you will be able to listen to this program again. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as Gene quite said, it is bye for now, and we'll... Um, Hopefully have you um, listening to the Dogs Program, talking about news, views, interviews and reviews to do with state, public, education, free, secular and universal um, in the weeks, months and years to come. But as I said, until then, from Gene and myself, it's bye for now.
Sir. Mm-hmm.